And good morning. My name is Jim. I am uh, a pastor here, the Lake Orion campus of Woodside. And uh, it's great to be with you all. I, uh, I hope this week, or this weekend, should I say, you have been praying for our students. Today I'm supporting our students wearing my Woodside students hoodie as the middle schoolers are up at Timberwolf. Uh, just having an amazing time hearing from the Lord, getting away from all of the normal elements in life to be able to get away, spend time with the Lord in dedicated time and space. And this is my little plug. If you have a middle schooler or a high schooler and you're not engaging in these moments for any other reason than conflicts where you don't, can I just compel you to? Like These are pivotal moments. This weekend I was texting with our daughter. She's there. Our middle schooler is the first time to send her away on a middle school retreat. And, and she was so elated, just had a having an amazing time. She's like, Dad, I've written pages of notes from the times, our sessions together in our small groups. And in my life specifically, I give a big plug because in these moments, those are the moments where God, when he took me away from the normal elements of my life, is when God rescued and redeemed me, when God called me into ministry and challenged me to further walk with him. And it's in those times of retreat where God often speaks to us. So man, uh, even if maybe your, your student is a little reluctant, I would press in and man, I would say uh, do all you can to get them there. My kids don't like going to school either, but I think it's for their good, so I send them, you know, which reminds me of what we're going to be looking at today. Um, it's interesting. We're going to be talking today about the fear of the Lord, to fear the Lord. When you think about that, what, is it, what does it mean to you to fear God, to fear the Lord? Think about that for a moment. I'll illustrate it this way. When I was growing up, there was something called fear of your parents. Like, there was a healthy level of fear. It, it kind of manifests itself in two ways, really. It was a reverential respect that I had for my mom and dad, and I would show them that they were my parents. They were different than any other human being in my life, right? And so I gave them a healthy measure of fear and reverence and respect. But then there was another element of fear that if I lived in a way that would bring down my family name, which I did many times, um, there was a level of fear that my dad was going to discipline me. My mom was going to discipline me because I had a, a type of fear, reverentially and a healthy measure of fear. Not a, not a cowering that like I'm in the presence of my dad, so I have to cower because I'm scared of him, but a, a healthy measure of fear. I honestly think that a lot of that's lost today. When you look at the state of parenting today, it's more that the parents fear the children. Like, I fear that my kids won't like me or they're going to throw a fit when we're in mire or whatever it may be, rather than the children having a healthy measure of fear for their parents. And honestly, when we look at the church today, I feel as that even bleeds in to the church in some ways. It's not that I have a healthy measure of reverential fear to God. On the other side, it's more like about me. Like God should just be happy I came to church today, don't you think? Like God should be just pretty, pretty okay with me because I did X, Y, and Z. Rather than this measure of healthy and holy fear that is a reverential, God is other and he deserves all of my respect and reverence. And there is a measure with which we read about in the text of Scripture. That if I go in the wrong direction, even as children of God, there's a disciplining that happens, he says, because he loves us, right? 
You know, the, it's no accident that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. In the New Testament, it says to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Not a cowering that God is going to flip over my car on the way home, but a reverential fear. And there's a different level of fear. If you're here today or you're watching online as we enter in today, if you are outside of a relationship with Jesus and you have not been forgiven of your sin, shame, and guilt, been covered by the blood of Jesus, there is a measure of fear that one should have of the impending wrath of God, which we don't like talking about, or the condemnation of God. For those of us in Christ, the fear we have is different. It's different. And today... We're going to be talking about that healthy, reverential fear that it could be a powerful force in our lives in following Jesus. And when it comes to our relationship with God, uh, this is something that's often, I think, many times underemphasized is the fear of God. And I'll, I'll bet even as I mention it, so many of you here maybe or watching online, they're kind of cringing like, Ugh. I don't want to talk about fear, like fearing God, right? But I want us to wrestle with, in the text today, whether or not we have a healthy fear of God. Do you have a healthy fear of God? Like a father, I'm scared to be in the presence of my father. I'm not scared that my dad's going to kill me. But I have a measure of reverence and respect for my father. Right? I get, my dad's going to be sitting right over there in the second service. A measure of reverence and respect and a measure while I'm living under them of like, yeah, when I, when I live wrongly, he's going to discipline me because he loves me, right? Well, uh, we've been in Jonah, and we're going to see that today. And if you haven't been around, Jonah, if you, last week was our first week as we en entered into this new series, At Odds with God, in the book of Jonah, we're looking at the entirety of the book. It's one of the minor prophets. It's a little bit different than the other minor prophets. The other minor prophets talk, uh, they have the words from the prophet, here in, in, in Jonah, why it's different is that we get the story about the prophet. The whole story is about Jonah himself. And as we go in, we, we, we remember last week, if you don't know anything about the story of Jonah, you're a newbie to church. Uh, Jonah, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Arise, I want you to go and preach repentance to this little place called Nineveh, which is a great city in the Assyrian Empire. They're enemies of Israel. He says, I want you to go there and I want you to preach repentance to them. And Jonah doesn't like what God has to say. So he goes the exact opposite direction, five times the other way, trying to run from God. He jumps on a boat and heads for the opposite direction. And today we're going to see what God does in response to Jonah's defiance. It's pretty amazing. Just tell you, it's probably not a good idea to do. So it starts there. Our story is, it starts on the boat with Jonah in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, when we get there in a minute, and it focuses in this story, our, 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 our story is the response and actions of two key characters. And I want to contrast them for you this morning. Two key characters, that of Jonah and that of the sailors that are also on board the ship. And it's going to bring about an important truth for us, is that reverential fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. Don't you remember that? The reverential fear, a healthy fear of the Lord, is a healthy part and process of submissive faith in following Jesus today. And I just want to look at three characteristics of someone who actually fears the Lord, that truly fears 
God. So let's look in verse four together. It says this, but the Pastor Alex already read it. We're just going to break it up verse by verse. But the Lord hurled. Don't stop there. That's why it's good for punctuation. But the Lord hurled. I was like, man, we're going to open up the service this Sunday with the reading of God's word. It's just going to open up with, but the Lord hurled. Hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That's a strong wind if a ship's going to break to pieces. Then the mariners were afraid. There's fear starting. Just, Just make mental notes here. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Like, what? What in the world? So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, and we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account This evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? Let's stop there for a moment and we see what is a characteristic of someone who fears God. The first would be people who seek God with their questions. So we see happening with these sailors. I love how God responds to Jonah's defiance with his sovereignty to his spiritual running from God. Jonah has no interest whatsoever of responding or seeking after God. And the text highlights that, as it says a number of times. It's it's even in the text showing us the downward spiritual direction of Jonah, as it says a number of times that he goes down, and he goes down into the inner part of the ship. And he's highlighting his spiritual decline away from God and going the other direction. And chaos is ensuing, right? I mean, there's, there's wind and, and, and a sea that is threatening their lives. It's going to break up the whole ship. And, and man, Jonah is in such a state of active rebellion that he literally says, I'm going to take a nap. Like, just imagine you're in the middle of the ocean. The ship is going down and you're so okay with what's happening in the situation. You're going to take a sleepy, sleepy. It's going to have a good time, guys. Have a good one. He's so settled in his defiance that he's peacefully asleep. It's amazing. When you look at the picture, you see someone who has no healthy fear of God, thinks that they know better than God, and they're settled in their defiance and entirely ignorant of how their sin and their actions are going to affect all these other people. You ever seen your children like that? Have you ever been like that? I'll never forget times in my life where my mom's like, hey, if you do that, keep. I don't want to, but I'm going to have to leave you home. And I'm like, so what? So I was left home. And I missed out because I was so settled in my defiance that I am not going to give. Can you imagine Jonah? As we see in a moment, he declares he knows where the storm's from and who it's from. And my man don't care. He's like, how many times did he think like, okay, I'm going to die here. Maybe it's time to turn back. Nope. When you look at the contrast, Jonah's spiritually descending, 
And the contrast, look at the sailors. Jonah's moving away from God. The sailors begin initially to move towards God with what they know. I mean, they recognize from the beginning, this is no ordinary storm. There is something supernatural behind it. And their immediate response is what? Fear. For what they know, there is a healthy measure of fear in their lives. And these guys are polytheists, which that means they they believe in multiple gods. And so they're like, hey, you cry out to your God, you cry out to your God, and you cry out to your God, we need to cover all the bases because we're about to die. And they go, finally, what to Jonah? In dramatic irony, I love this. The captain comes down to Jonah and he utilizes the same word that God called him in the beginning of the story, arise. It's the same word. I don't think that's by mistake. The same word that Yahweh said to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and preach. Now the captain of the ship is even used as the mouthpiece of God. Arise. What are you doing? You're sleeping. The pagan sailor who prays and whose words echo that of Yahweh while Jonah remains silent. What the contrast. And the response eventually, right? They resort to casting lots to figure out who in the world brought this trouble upon us. Now, casting lots was an ancient way of seeking to, to discern the will of God. It happened often. They would throw down uh, the, these, these things, and then it would just give them a sign. And so Jonah here wins the lottery, or doesn't. It, it falls on him as the sailors are portrayed as the, the spiritual ones who are seeking at least to desire to know the will of God. Who is this and where is this from? And they discern it's Jonah. And they bombard him with a ton of questions. Where are you from? What people are you from? All these questions. And through the act of casting lots and their questions, we recognize that the sailors, where they're at that moment spiritually, the sailors in this scene are the ones who fear God and are seeking to understand who is behind the storm and what God is doing. It's quite fascinating. And one of the ways, I'll honestly, one of the ways that we can recognize whether we have reverent fear is by looking at our disposition towards God when we're in challenging moments of our lives. Like, what's your disposition towards God when you enter into challenging moments in your life? Is it that of complacency or running the other direction? Or is it that of questioning and entering in with God and finding out, God, what are you doing and why are you doing it? You see, the sailors display for us where reverent fear begins in asking, in turning to God in prayer, in seeking to understand and asking questions and finding the deeper reality of what's happening and on the one, one hand, Jonah shows us what a lack of fear entails. No prayer, no seeking, a desire, no desire to follow God's will, just sleeping. Like I'm just settled in my defiance of God. It's interesting, I don't know if you ever heard of, a, of an author named uh, David Paul Tripp, or Paul David Tripp, excuse me. He has this uh, amazing book called Awe, Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say, and Do. Well, he writes in the beginning chapter of his book, he says, if someone asked you what the two most important questions you could ever ask were, what would you answer? He says, if you are God's child, there may be no more important questions than these two. It's this, what in the world is God doing right here and right now? And how in the world should I respond to it? 
In essence, what is God saying? What is God doing? And then what am I supposed to do in response? And I would go so as far as you ask those questions every single day. When you open up the word of God, what is God saying? What am I going to do about it? After you leave every sermon that I preach in this room, what is God saying in this moment to me specifically? And then what am I going to do about it? Because I'm not just gathering information. And the author, Tripp, notes that how we answer those questions influences our understanding of God and the challenges of our lives, whether we will grow towards him or away from him in those moments. How we answer those questions. And I would say, for us, in challenging moments and seasons of our lives, rather than running from God, as uh, my man Jonah was doing, like the sailors, even in their rudimentary beginning stages, going to God, the God that they are now seeing is behind this, and asking relevant questions to find out, what is God doing in this moment, right now, and what are we going to do? What are we going to do in response to who God is? Well, if you continue reading with me in verse 9, he goes on to show another element of one who fears the Lord. Look with me in verse 9. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Now that's interesting. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. So they began to be afraid. Now they're exceedingly afraid. And said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he said a few more things. Then in verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I hate pronouncing that word. It's a fun one. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempest. Can't do it. Against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay down on us innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, O Lord, have done as it pleased you characteristic of someone who fears the Lord, not only questions, asks the Lord, seeks the Lord, but also people who go to God or call out to God in their struggle. People that call unto God in their struggle. Jonah here, for the first time in verse 9, speaks in the book. And it's telling what he says. The first thing when they ask him, like, who are you? Where are you from? All these different questions. It's amazing that he begins, he's a Hebrew. It's telling that Jonah first identifies, his first marker of identity is his ethnic heritage over being a prophet of God. Because he's with the people. Remember from last week? I'm with the people of Israel. I'm not with the people of Nineveh. And I'm not going to go and preach to those people. I don't want to do that because they're the enemies of my people. So again, it's telling that he's identifying with the people not as a prophet from God. And Jonah's following words drip with irony. He says, and I fear the Lord, but I'm running from him, and I'm disobedient to him, and I don't want to do anything else that he says. And it's amazing that he says, I fear the Lord, and he gives him some markers of description, the one who created the dry land and the sea. Why didn't he talk about the birds and the animals or anything else? Because the thing that was against them right now was what? The sea. 
So in essence, he says, yeah, that's, that, that's my God is doing that. He, he controls that stuff. And they were exceedingly fearful. He's literally in a moment acknowledging God's sovereignty. God is all sovereign, but I think I can run from his presence. Pretty smart. So sin does. He claims, Jonah claims to fear the Lord, but his actions so otherwise, and he's literally in the middle of running them. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this nugget of truth. This is truth. Jonah reminds us that our hearts can be still, be spiritually rebellious towards God, even when we know all the right truths about God. I want you to hear that today. You can still be in spiritual rebellion towards God all the while, know exactly all the right truths about God. You can grow up your whole life in church, know all the ups and downs and ins and outs of Christianity, all the while still be spiritually rebellious towards God. You can be in those seats every single Sunday and learn all of the right stuff about God and still be in spiritual rebellion against God in your heart. It's pretty amazing. And again, the sailors, they're this contrast of Jonah as they exhibit reverential fear that recognizes the power and the sovereignty of God, and they respond. So instead of joining Jonah in his rebellion, they're like, hey, we, we need to figure out what to do, and so God, what should we do? I mean, they didn't know what to do, so they turn to Jonah, and Jonah gives them a simple solution, throw me in. The same world that hurl me into the water. In the midst of his defiance, his defiance is so strong that he'd rather die than turn back and obedient to the Lord. Now, this is more significant than we even know. In their time, the sea, the ocean, was chaos. It was the abyss. It was like Hades. It was unknown. They thought that that was where demonic forces were from. It was an unknown. They didn't know it was down there, and it was scary, and it was dark, and it was dangerous. And so it was a sign. It was a place of, the, of chaos and evil and the abyss. So for a Jewish boy who is supposedly a prophet of God, he would rather die in the most evil place he knows, the abyss, the place of darkness and chaos, than to be obedient and repent and go back to God. Anybody ever been there before? Man, I'm just too prideful. I'm not turning back. Jonah in this moment, it's like, nope, I'm never going back. This is where I am. And the response of the, the men is like, we'll roll harder. Man, if your God can do that with waves, I'm not sure what he'll do to us. I ain't throwing his man back into the water. So they start just, just rowing. And I love it that God's just kind of, you imagine in these moments, God's just like, nope, keep on, guys. You can keep trying. You're going to have to throw that boy in the water. Because Jonah's got to learn the hard way. And they try their darndest and they can't. And they come to a place in verse 14 that they respond and address God in his divine name, Yahweh. And they say in verse 14, Therefore they call down to the Lord, O Lord, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay on us innocent blood. And then I love the ending, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
They're crying out outside of what they're doing with Jonah. Now they are crying out to God himself, saying like, Lord, you, I'm acknowledging your sovereignty. You have done as you pleased. I mean, it's amazing the contrast of the sailors and Jonah. It forces us to ask the question and respond How do we respond in our struggle and our challenges in life? When it seems like God isn't going the direction we want, when it seems like God is going against us, or it seems like God is doing something different, do we turn in defiance, or do we cry out to him for him to intervene and say, God, I need you? Well, partially determine how we answer that question is how sovereign and powerful we understand God to be. What's your view of God? I can tell you right now, your view of God will change how you live or won't live. If you believe God is a healer, you will cry out to God for healing when you're sick. If you believe God is all sovereign, you will rest more easily in your anxiety and worry because God has it all. If you believe God is big enough to create the world by speaking into existence, you will trust God more for the little things. In life. This past Friday, a woman from our Romeo campus was going in for a massive surgery, uh, pretty significant, and they hurried before her surgery and recorded her story. And I think it illustrates profoundly what we're talking about here. I want to show it to you. It's just a quick three-minute video of her testimony before she went into surgery on Friday. Check this out. I got my CT scan back um, recently, and the tumor has grown to a softball size. It's not only in the jaw, but it's in the ear canal, and now it's into my brain. Complicated, right? My name is Debbie Bidigari. I go to here, Romeo Woodside Church. I attend with my family, with my husband, Chip, and my son, Parker. I have had medical challenges I've been in the hospital probably more times than I, would e- I could even count. I've been diagnosed now for about eight years with a tumor. It's a pseudo-gout tumor in the jaw. I'm the youngest person that's been recorded for this type of tumor. And it's in the, it's in the health journals. Uh, we have talked to many doctors, I've gone to many hospitals, many places that deal with special cases. And I've been told many times, many years, sorry, we can't help you. This is too complicated. Through a lot of tears and a lot of praying, just asking God for wisdom, just to guide us because we're lost here. In the past two years, he put a group of surgeons together that have talked to me and said, we can help you. We can do what needs to be done when the time comes. The time is now. I got the news um, a few months ago that this went from just a, a little tumor to a softball size that now has entered the brain. It's critical, we gotta do this and we gotta do it now. But we serve a good God, we really do. And I know no matter what this outcome's going to be, I've got faith, I trust God. I'll tell you, God has given me peace. 
He's given me peace to endure this trial, and I can do it. This storm, this trial that's, that's just swirling around me, and people looking at me with their mouths opened up saying, what? I can't believe it. You don't look like anything's wrong with you. That's God. That's not me. Because our God is so good. He is there to give you that peace. And it's just so important to me that if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted him in your heart, that you do so. That you please take that time. Get to know him like I know him. He's my best friend. He is my savior. He's my strength. He's my peace. He's the love that I feel from the family around me. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Pretty powerful. I'll tell you that she went into surgery on Friday, and uh, so far we've heard she's doing well. As God has directed the hands of the doctors to help her and intervene. But what's fascinating to me is her view of God is quite large. Her view of God was, and my God is on my side. Even no matter what happens, my view is God is this, therefore it impacts my actions and reality like this. And therefore, I can live in such a way that when I'm in challenges, I seek the Lord. Like my strength is not in this or this or this in the world. It's in God himself. And when you look at Jonah, Jonah had a small view of God and it caused him to continue in spiritual rebellion. Meanwhile, the sailors, even in their infancy, recognized God's power and his sovereignty. It caused them to cry out with mercy, realizing he's the only one that can intervene. You're the only one. We're in the middle of this mess, and you're the only one who can change it, God. And we just met, but you're the only one who can change it, God. We look as quite the climactic ending. Not only are people that fear the Lord ones that cry out to him in their struggles, but also people who respond in, in worship, in worship to him. Look in, in verse 15 with me. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Can you imagine that scene? Like, I don't know if it was immediate, but I love having an amazing uh, 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 mind that God gave me to be able to imagine these things. They chuck him into the water. Did it instantly go silent? I hope it did, because the next verse is even better then. Because he didn't sink. He's probably floating on the water. And then it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And while they're doing this, Jonah's in the water, and the Lord appointed a great fish and swallowed up Jonah. Imagine these men. They chuck him overboard. It's silent. Maybe he's floating in the, in the still water, and this big fish goes, whoop. And they're like, yep, we exceedingly fear the Lord. We're never going to do anything like that again. Yep, I definitely believe in Yahweh now. It was a good day. It's even a better one. We're okay, and that guy's gone. Like, I fear the Lord. And you see the response in this final act. It contracts between the two again, and their fear of God. Jonah's thrown in, and immediately the storm ceases. Jonah's sacrifice caused the sea as a symbol of evil and chaos to be still. That's quite significant. And there's two things that come in view of the story. First, Jonah is a spiritually, he's 
He, he's, he's here because of his defiance, and he's come to his lowest point, and he's been hurled into the sea. I mean, he's at rock bottom when you're thrown. If you're of a day where you're tossed into the ocean, you're swallowed by a fish, that is rock bottom. What seems like death at this point, we'll go to that next week. Second, what's amazing here is what I spend the last couple of minutes pointing out to you and showing you. The beauty of Scripture. In Jonah's sacrifice, we see a picture and the nature of salvation. The Old Testament has other places that speak of casting of lots and a substitute being offered on behalf of others to appease God's wrath. Leviticus 9, or 17 or 16, if you ever want to go and read it, we find there's instruction concerning the Day of Atonement, the most holy day in their year, right? And on that day, lots were cast. And a goat was chosen to bear the sin as a symbol of evil and chaos for Israel so that they can continue to walk with God. You ever heard of a, a, a scapegoat? Well, this is where it comes from. So the goat that was chosen was a scapegoat, and it would be released into the wilderness, a sign of symbol of, of evil and chaos. And the goat was released, and then God removed sin through the scapegoat. Pretty amazing. Jonah then, and in our story, is pictured as a scapegoat whose sacrifice removes God's wrath and restores peace for the sailors. Pretty amazing. And the great fish stands a symbol of God's judgment, which Jonah endures and which results in salvation for the sailors. Pretty fascinating. But that's not the greatest one. That's not the greatest one. Jonah's sacrifice also points towards a greater reality, that in Jesus Christ, which alludes to this very thing as he describes the work of salvation through his resurrection and his death. We talked about this passage last week. I want to go back to it. Matthew 12, this is what Jesus says in response to a couple of people that want a, a sign. Give me a sign. Do an act. Be a, a magician to me. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given, excuse me, no sign will be given to an expect the sign of, except the sign of the prophet Jonah in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the sacrifice Jonah made by being hurled over and swallowed up by a fish actually was pointing forward to the ultimate salvation you and I would experience in Jesus Christ. It's pretty fascinating how we don't know the Bible as well as we do, but it's all intertwined, right? That we stood in rebellion against God and his plans and his purposes, and because of that, we deserve the judgment of God, just like Jonah in that moment and there with the sailors. We deserve to be hurled into the sea of chaos and evil and death. But God, who is rich and mercy, instead sent his son to come to earth to offer himself as our sacrifice. And like Jonah, the fish, he spent three days in a fish. God, Jesus himself, would spend three days in the heart of the earth. And then after three days, he would rise victoriously that we might be saved and redeemed and back in right relationship with God. And here's what's fascinating. While Jonah's disobedience temporarily brought salvation for a few sailors, by God's grace, Jesus' obedience provides ultimate salvation for all that would come to faith in him. That's what it ultimately points to. So how do we respond to the work of salvation that Christ has done? To what we've seen. 
to what the sailors have experienced. Again, the sailors are a beautiful picture of response to us on those who feared God. Look what it says in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the culmination of their journey and the story. Jonah moved downward. The men moved upward. They respond to the act of salvation on behalf of Yahweh, God himself, with, with a reverential fear. Here's what's fascinating. Would you look at the story? In the beginning, the sailors were motivated by ignorant fear. They didn't know exactly what questions to ask or what was going on. Then they were motivated by informed fear, which caused them to say, man, the Lord, and cry out to the Lord. But now here we see them move to submissive fear. This, this fear that puts God in his right place and, and us in our right response in awareness to him. It's, it's amazing and profound when you see it. What do they do? They offer sacrifices in adoration towards God. So they're worshiping the Lord after the sea is calmed and Jonah's been swallowed. They're here offering sacrifices. And then it says they vowed vows, that they literally committed themselves to following Yahweh now. So in their response, it shows us what healthy, reverential fear of the Lord looks like. It looks like genuine worship and responding in praise and adoration with our lives to God. Have you read that before anywhere? Romans 12. He says, man, now, now based on these things, the Apostle Paul, I'm paraphrasing, I beg of you brothers, because of the first 11 chapters of that book, because of all of what you have in Christ, I beg of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, offer your bodies, literally all that you are, as a what? A living sacrifice. Wake up every single day and say, I'm going to die to my flesh, I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to live for you, Jesus. The sailors give us a perfect of that when I have a correct view of God, a reverential and healthy fear of God, it will, re- it will respond in reverential worship and submission to what I say at the beginning, reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. When we see God as who he is, sovereign and almighty, we recognize our salvation is offered to us through Christ. This is what it means to fear the Lord. Reverential, healthy, good fear of the Lord. Can I tell you there's some good news? I love the good news that's offered to each one of us. I love the way the Bible works. The hero of the story is often not the one we would think be the hero of the story. I mean, you'd think like the prophet man, that guy, the religious guy, the guy that had all the theological answers, the guy that knew the most about God, man, that guy would be the hero. But what I love, the good news of the gospel is for each one of us, no matter where we are, the sailors, these sailors who knew nothing about God are the ones that are the picture and example for us. It's the people that you thought were maybe the furthest away from displaying the journey of faith for us are actually the people that are example. Those men are willing to ask questions, call out in their distress, ultimately surrender their lives to God, and they experience salvation. Can I say, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching today online, and you feel like you're a long way from God this morning. You woke up this morning, you just feel like you're a long ways from God. 
Can I just encourage you before you leave today? Let's let the story of Jonah and the sailors today remind you and I that we are never too far away from experiencing the amazing grace and mercy of God. No matter where you find yourself today coming into this building, as you leave, I want you to find yourself in the center of the grace of God as we place a beautiful, healthy, reverential fear of the Lord that, yes, he is other. Why would we worship if he wasn't? And at the same time, a fear that says, yes, he is like my father, and he comes after me, and he pursues me, and he loves me. And in all of that, Lord, because of that, I am going to be someone who comes after you, cries out to you, and ultimately worships you with all that I have my whole life, laying it down at your feet. Man, no matter where you are today, let's respond. Say, Lord, today... In this place, I respond to you. Today, we're going to end by singing a song that's a little bit old, but it's beautiful. And it displays this exact picture of what we talked about, that I cried out. You responded, Lord, in your great mercy. Maybe for you today, it's remembering the day when you ultimately cried unto the Lord for mercy, and he came and rescued and redeemed you and indwelled you, and you met the Lord that day. Maybe today as we sing this, you think about that day and allow it to energize you that the Lord of, great, of grace and mercy met you there and will meet you again today. Or maybe today, if you're watching online or you're here, you've never had that moment where you've cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I need you. I, I need salvation in you. I want to worship you with my life. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm going to start here like the sailors, and I'm going to cry out to you even as we sing this song. And if your heart is genuine, the Lord will meet you there. And if you don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with the Lord, right after the service, come see one of us. Come down front. Have a conversation with us. But may we all leave here with a healthy, beautiful, reverential fear of the Lord empowering us for active worship in our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today and the time we have and the moments we get to read your word and hear from you. Thank you for the book of Jonah, the beauty the reality of the book where we find ourselves in different people each week. So much of my life, Lord, I find myself many times in Jonah, in rebellion against you in little ways and in big ways, not wanting to do and follow the things that you've called me to. But then, Lord, I, I know I find myself even in the sailors that I remember the moments when my eyes were being illuminated to you and I began to respond to you in the measure that I was given and then week in and week out, the journey of following you, Lord. God, I ask today that you would be with, with everyone in this room and everyone watching online, that we'd leave this place with a measure of healthy, reverential fear of you that would drive us into following you in active worship, in all that we have. And even as we sing now, Lord, we remember the days that is depicted in Jonah when I called God. As you said, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I called, and you answered. Thank you for the beauty of that, Lord, that when I call, you answer. And you're still in the business of answering today. And so be with us now, even as we sing, and sing praises to you. Bring about whatever we need to deal with today. In Jesus' name, amen.